Welcome back to the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast. Here, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're listening to Miller Thomas, the wonderful host of this podcast. I'm graduating in about a month now. I'm going to be in need of a job, so please go check out my website, millerthomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. For today's show, we got a jam-packed show. We got two segments today. Feel like I haven't done two segments show in a while, but we got two segments today. Segment number one, I'm going to be breaking down that finale of whether the 01 team is better than that 27 Diamondbacks squad. And then in segment number two, I'm just going to do a quick, you know, recap, a quick reliving of the 2001 World Series. We'll go through every game, see how it breaks down until we call, until we get the culmination and end up with, uh, you know, the final tally. And, and we'll see, wink, wink, who wins that World Series. <laughs> but first, if your company is interested in reaching men between the ages of 18 and 44, your company should be sponsoring this podcast. Locked on Dimebacks is listened to by 98% men and 80% between the ages of 18 and 44. So if you want men in that age range, this is your spot. Plus, our way to the most reasonable around. Email me at LockedOnDimebacks at gmail.com to find out more. Now, for segment number one today, we are talking, still talking about whether that 2001 World Series team for the D-backs was you know, even better than that, whether it was the best Dimebacks team on paper. And we we looked back at the 0-2 team. We looked back at the, I'm drawing a blank on the other uh, Dimebacks team. I know, hold on, if you give me two seconds, and that team was the 2011 team. Yes, that team also won 94 games in 2011. They won 98 games in 2002. And then today, we're doing 2001 versus 2017. Now, 2017 team won 93 games so they 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 were no slouches they still won one more game than the 2001 world series winning team but like all the other teams let's take a look at the lineup let's take a look at the bullpen and let's take a look at that rotation so if i look at the two teams you got your catcher chris ionetta for the d-backs and and this is 2017 and chris ionetta had a pretty solid year. I mean, at age 34, he batted 254 with 17 home runs and 43 ribbies. So I think that I think he slightly had a better game than a better year than Damian Miller because in 23 games he batted 271, which is pretty good, but uh, only 13 home runs compared to 17 and 89 games for Chris Ionetta. Then at first base, you finally had Paul Goldschmidt inserting himself into the lineup, being a beast already. He was, granted, 29 years old, but uh, he batted 297, 18 stolen bases, 36 home runs, and 120 ribbies. So he was a stud that year, and we compare that to the 01 team, Mark Grace. I'm definitely going to have to take a goldie there, no, crush, um, no question about it. He had Brandon Drury at second. He had a nice year. He batted 267, 13 home runs, so pretty average, nothing. He, he was no Quetzal Marte. And that was pretty much the same numbers as Jay Bell. Jay Bell, uh, he he had 13 home runs, bad 248, a, a 350 OBP. Uh, Brenton Jury had 317, so it's really a toss-up. I guess I'll give it to Jay Bell just because he was better at getting on base, but th- th- that one's definitely pretty close. 
And then for if we look at the shortstop, Ketel Marte was actually already on this 2017 team. Now, he wasn't the guy we know today. He was only his first season with the D-backs. He batted 260 in 73 games, only five home runs. So no one definitely could have expected this. When you compare that to Tony Womack, who is the best base runner on the 2001 team, you definitely have to give the shortstop position to the 01 team. You look at third base, Jake Lamb had a offensively it was it was an interesting year he only bad 248 but he had 30 ribbies uh not 30 ribbies he had 30 bombs and 105 ribbies he is on his obp was 360 so he was getting on base and we compare that to the matt williams who bad 275 with 16 home runs i think i'm actually gonna have to give that year two with jake lamb i think he's just more productive more of an all-around player and then in left field this year was yasmani thomas and he had uh well he only bad 241 and had eight home runs in 47 games so uh unfortunately we didn't see a lot of, you know yasmani and then you don't even have to compare it really because luis gonzalez come on we know what gonzo was capable of and center fielder, we have the snake AJ Pollock because we know he's been bad mouthing, uh, bad mouthing D backs fans since he's become a, a LA Dodger. He only batted 266 with 14 home runs, so pretty overrated. So, <laughs> definitely gonna take a Steve Finley. He batted 275, 14 home runs, and 11 stolen bases over that trader AJ Pollock. And then you had David Peralta in right field. Uh, pretty solid numbers. He batted 293, so he could hit for average. OBP 350, 14 home runs. So he had a pretty solid year. But Reggie Sanders this year had a, an 01, had 263 average, 33 home runs, 90 ribbies. So he, he definitely did more, definitely had more pops. So I'll definitely give it to the 01 team uh, with in terms of Reggie Sanders versus David Peralta. So when I add it up, Chris Iannetta, the 07, uh, the 2017, Goldschmidt, the 2017 team. I think I gave it to Brandon Drury as well. Or no, I gave it to Jay Bell. So, and then uh, I didn't give Ketel Marte the nod. I gave Jake Lamb the nod. I didn't give Yasmani Tomas the nod. I didn't give AJ Pollock the nod. And I didn't give David the whole outfield for the 01 team, I think, was better. So, really, just Jake Lamb in the lineup. Uh, Brandon Drury. Oh, not Brandon. I don't know why I keep thinking Brandon Drury. Jake Lamb, Goldschmidt, Ionetta. I think were the only two, or were the only three position players who I think were better than their 01 counterparts. So when you really add that all up, the the 01 team had better position players. They 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 still had more guys in the lineup who I trusted who had better numbers that year. So I'm taking the 01 lineup over the 2017 lineup, even though. You got a Goldschmidt. If you're telling me you have the Ketel Marte of today with the Goldschmidt in 2017, then it might be a different discussion, but not not during this time, at least. Now, if we look at the starting pitching, he had a Zach Ranky who had a pretty good year, 17-7, and a 3-2 ERA, over 200 innings pitch, so very good year. I, it wasn't Kurt Schilling or Randy Johnson, but he had a very solid year, 215 strikeouts. He was pretty, he was pretty beastie. Patrick Corbin, 14 and 13, 403 already. He had 189 innings pitch, so he was a good pitcher. But uh, he, did, I'm glad the D-backs didn't give him any long-term money. And then this was the best year Robbie Ray had, a 15 and 5, a 289 ERA. And then you had a Taiwan Walker who was really good this year too, at 3.49 ERA. And then a Zach Godley rounded it out nicely with 3.37 ERA. So 
really, when I look at it, the the O one team definitely has the two best pitchers, as they probably will have historically against almost any team when you're comparing the one and two starting pitchers. But in terms of depth and quality, I mean, Patrick Corbin is the only starting pitcher to have a over a four ERA. It was only a four oh three, so it wasn't even that high. Still had 178 strikeouts. Robbie Ray had over 200 strikeouts too. So in terms of depth, I, I think I like this 2017 starting rotation more just because I really don't like the three, four, and five pitchers on that O one team. So starting pitching, I think I'm going to have to give it to the 2017 Diamondbacks. Now, how about the bullpen? Now, this year, the D-backs had Fernando Rodney in their bullpen, the fireball thrower. A lot of people know him from Tampa Bay for throwing those arrows out, and he was very, uh, very inconsistent. He had a 4-2-3 ERA. He had a 55 innings pitch. He had 39 saves, but that ERA was dreadful. So uh, definitely a guy you didn't always trust in those high leverage, high leverage situations. And uh, we compared that to BK. BK was just a stud in 01. He had a very good year, only 19 saves, but 294 ERA. He only had he had 98 innings pitch, so a good amount of innings pitch out there compared to only 55 for Fernando Rodney. So definitely the closer I'm giving. To the uh, to the 0-1 team, but Archie Bradley's your setup guy with just dynamic 173 ERA. Right, but outside of Archie, this bullpen really struggled. 4-2-1 for Jorge De La Rosa, JJ Hoover 3-9-2, uh, TJ McFarland a 5-3-3. You had Jake Barrett a 5-0, uh, Tom Wilmanson a 4-4-4, Anthony Ronda 5-9-6, Brandon Shipley a 5-7-6. This bullpen. Outside of who, if I count up, Bradley, uh, Chafin, J.J. Hoofer, uh, and that's about it. Those are the only guys who had a below a four ERA. In the, oh, and Randall Delgado, I forgot. So four pitchers for the AZ Diamondbacks who had below a four ERA who pitched over 11 innings. So it, that's not too good in your bullpen. And Archie Bradley was the only one with a below a three ERA. You at least see have uh, usually every team at least has two guys who has like a two five, a two seven, two eight ERA. D-backs only had one guy with a sub three ERA. Granted, Archie Bradley's ERA was one seven three, so it was super dynamic. But everyone else, all, all your other reliable relief pitchers had like a three five ERA, and then everyone else was like a four or a five ERA. So I'm definitely gonna have to give the O one team the bullpen there because they just had more quality. Relief pitchers. I don't think it's. I don't think they had a lot either, but I think they just had slightly more than the D-backs, and because their closer, which is so strong, was better too than Fernando Rodney. Then I definitely have to give it to the O one team. So when I look at it, the the lineup O one team, the the bullpen O one team, and they had two stud guys. I think this O one team, after doing this comparison through with the best D-backs teams pretty much in their history. I think this 0-1 team on paper is the best D-backs team we've ever seen from their lineup to their rotation to their bullpen. It's the most well-balanced uh, team there is. It has the most star power led by Gonzo and then your two starters and Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson. So definitely think this 0-1 team is the best Diamondbacks team in franchise history. Yeah, now in segment number two coming up shortly, we're going to be getting into the discussion of just that World Series team in 01 
and just going through the the World Series, the different games and how they played out. So definitely stick around for that. From an early morning breakfast burrito to a 12-pack of beers while you watch the game, sometimes you just need what you need delivered fast. That's where Postmates comes in. If you're like me, you probably start thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food. That's why I love using Postmates. They deliver food from every restaurant I can think of right to my door. But Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make my life easier with grocery delivery and whatever I can think of delivery too. Convenience stores, clothing stores, you name it. So no more trips to the store, no more late night fast food runs. I don't even have to worry about whether to grab lunch anymore. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android, find your favorite restaurants, and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use the code LOCKEDON. That's code LOCKEDON for $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmate app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. Alright, here we go for segment number two on the Locked on Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. We are talking that 0-1 World Series, and we're just going to go through the games and basically just see how they played out and just relive the glory. Relive the glory days of the Diamondbacks. So, in game one, the, the Yankees actually got on the board first. Derek Jeter was hit by a pitch with one out in the first and scored on a Bernie Williams double two batters later. But this was the only scoring run for the Yankees. The, the pitchers for the Dimax went on to really shut down the, the Yankees for the rest of the game. Kurt Schilling was pretty dynamic, and the two relievers, Mike Morgan and Greg Schwindel, just devastated the Yankees. And, and the Diamondbacks were able to score in the bottom of the first Inning, so they got back in it pretty quickly. Pretty quickly off a game tying Craig Council one out home run off Mike Messina, and then the D backs in the third inning followed it up with four more runs, and then did it again in the fourth inning with four more runs. So the D backs put up nine runs by before the fifth inning even started, and that that would be all they needed. They went on to win the game nine to one. They out hit the Yankees ten to three. And they, they play perfect defense, no errors compared to the Yankees, too. Now, in game two of that game, the, the D-backs once again came out swinging. They had another strong pitching performance by their dynamic big unit, Randy Johnson. He had a complete game shutout. Just a beast. That's what you need from one of your ace. He only allowed four base runners, three hits, and he struck out 11 Yankees. Andy Pettit, meanwhile, he ne- he nearly did as well as uh, Randy Johnson did. You know, he retired Arizona in order in the first five of the fir- in five of the first seven innings. So he was dynamic too. But in the second inning, he allowed a a leadoff single to Reggie Sanders, who scored on a Danny Batista double. Batista was the only Arizona runner stranded for the entire game. The seventh Pettit hit Luis Gonzalez with a pitch before Sanders grounded out into a force out. 
after Batista singled Matt Williams' three-run home run, put Arizona up 4-0. And that was the end of that game. And so the D-backs were able to go up 2-0. Now they were at home, so it was great to see them go up to 2-0. But now the series moves to New York. So how does that shift change the series? Well, it did change a lot because the, the next game was no different than uh, the first couple in terms of Arizona Diamondbacks pitching. We saw George W. Bush throw out the first pitch. Obviously, this was in 2001, so you had 9-11. So definitely uh, people and fans in the media were rallying around the Yankees just because of all this. You can hear chants of USA ring throughout Yankee Stadium. Yankee starter Roger Clemens only allowed three hits and struck out nine in seven innings of work. Yankees closer Mariano Rivera pitched two innings for the save. Jorge Posada led off with a home run off Brian Anderson in the second, and that's how the Yankees got up 1-0. The Dimebacks actually loaded the bases in the fourth on two walks and one hit, and then Matt Williams had hit a sacrifice fly to tie the game. And Bernie Williams hit a, a leadoff single in the sixth and moved to second on a wild pitch one out later before Posada walked. Mike Morgan relieved Anderson and struck out David Justice before Scott Brosius broke out, broke the tie with a with an RBI single. And that would be all the scoring the Yankees needed. They just needed that one run in the in the sixth inning to break the tie, and they went on to win two to one. They did get seven hits compared to the Dimebacks three, but the, once again, this was another pitching duel, and the Diamondbacks shot themselves in the foot a little bit in Game 3. They had three errors compared to the Yankees' one, so they definitely need to clean up their defense if they want to win Game 4. And unfortunately, it couldn't be done. The, the Yankees, once again, won Game 4, winning back-to-back -back games in the series, just like the D-backs did. Uh, game 4 sent Hor Orlando Hernandez to the mound while the D-backs sent out Kurt Schilling on just three days rest. Both pitchers gave up home runs, with Schilling doing so to Shane Spencer in the third, and Hernandez gave up a home run to Mark Grace in the fourth. Hernandez pitched six in the third inning, so he pitched pretty well. He only gave up the one run. Kurt Schilling matches production, too. He went seven innings and gave up three hits compared to uh, Hernandez's four and he only gave up one run as well. So both the pitchers pitched to pretty much a stalemate. They were both producing, both keeping their teams in the game as the offenses struggled. This was really a pitching series outside the D-backs putting up nine runs in game one. Both teams couldn't crack the four-run mark. So it was definitely a pitching series. But in the eighth inning of game four, entering the or I already said entering the eighth inning, the D-backs were able to get a couple runs on the board. Uh, they were able to get two runs on the board, thankfully, because Luis Gonzalez singled and Uribeal Durias hit a double to bring him in. And Matt Williams followed by grounding into a field of choice off of Ramiro Mendoza, which scored pinch runner Midre Cummings and gave the team a 3-1 to one lead. So the D-backs were feeling good entering the ninth. You know, you're, you're in Yankee Stadium. You're about to take a 3-1 to one series lead in, in your first World Series, but... Unfortunately, they couldn't hold on. Derek Jeter led off by trying to bunt for a hit, was thrown out by Williams, but Paul O'Neill then lined a single in front of Gonzalez. Then Bernie Williams struck out, but then Kim seemed to be in a bit of trouble. He had Tino Martinez come to the plate, and Martinez drove the first pitch he saw from Kim into the right center field bleachers, tying the score at 3-3. Three to three. 
And the Yankees were not done as Posada walked and David Justice moved him into scoring position with a single. Kim struck out Spencer to end the threat, thankfully. But now this was a tie game, and he had to go into extras. And uh, when the scoreboard clock in Yankee Stadium passed midnight, World Series play in November began. And now... (laughs) Now the World Series wasn't just in October. Now we were in November playing World Series baseball. You had one game in October. Now you got the same game in November. So it's kind of it's kind of fun uh, to see that. It was, you actually saw a message on the scoreboard saying, "On the scoreboard saying, welcome to November baseball," because that's how long the game was. So Mariano Rivera took the hill for the Yankees in the tenth, retired the Diamondbacks in order. Then Kim went out for the third inning of work and retired uh, Scott Brosius and Alfonso Soriano. But Jeter hit an opposite field home run on a 3-2 pitch count from Kim, and this run gave the Yankees a 4-3 victory. Walk-off home run by Derek Jeter. Clutch, and he went on to tie the series up 2-2 with both respective home teams winning their first two games in their stadium. But now you got Game 5 in Yankee Stadium as well. So how does this game turn out? It's, again, another pitching duel. This one was won 3-2 by the Yankees. Uh, the Yankees had Mike Messina out there again. And while the D- and the D-backs sent out Miguel Batista, who had not pitched in 12 days. I mean, because obviously they just love throwing Kurt Schilling out there on short rest. When you, got, when you have guys like Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson, you could do that. But Batista pitched a strong 7-2 innings. Struck out six. Messina bounced back from his poor game one start. Recorded 10 strikeouts, but allowed a solo home run in the fifth inning to Steve Finley and Rod Barajas. So that gave the D-backs a 2-0 lead after five, but that just wasn't enough. They weren't able to put any more runs on the board, and the Yankees were once again clutch with the D-backs leading 2-0, entering the ninth. BK was called upon again for the save, despite having thrown three innings the night before, and it was not a good decision. Posada doubled to open the inning, but Kim got Shane Spencer, thankfully, to ground out and then struck out Chuck Noblotch. But then, what? just like the previous night, Kim could not hold on to the lead. Scott Barosius hit a 1-0 pitch over the left field wall, the second straight game tying home run in the bottom of the ninth inning for the Yankees. And that's just a devastating blow. So this game went to... This game went to extras once again. It went all the way to the 12th inning. And the the Yankees were able to get their 12th inning run and win on another walk-off. Arizona went to midseason trade acquisition. Albi Lopez in the 12th. And in his first at-bat, he gave up a single to no blotch, but entered the game as a pinch runner. Brosias moved him over with the bunt. And then Alfonso Soriano ended the game with an RBI single to give the Yankees a 3-2 victory and a 3-2 series lead. Now you have the D-backs with their backs against the wall. The D-backs against the wall because we're a 3-2 series lead for the Yankees. Things could get dicey real easily. So in Game 6 with Arizona in a must-win situation, Randy Johnson Randy Johnson pitched 7 innings and struck out 7, just giving up 2 runs. And the D-backs... Bats broke out in game six. They went on to hit to get eight uh to get 22 hits and scored 15 runs. It was just uh, a hitting galore. It was just it was just amazing to watch. Offense all around. You you're finally happy to see uh the the team finally break out of their hitting slump. And this was at the time a postseason record sent by the D-backs for most runs 
in Yankee Stadium in a playoff game until uh, the Red Sox beat that record in 2018 with a 16-1 to win against the against the Yankees on the way to their World Series victory. So people just love going to Yankee Stadium and beating them up, I guess. So it all came down to Game 7. You know, Yankees you got in the World Series. You got the D-backs who've only been around for a few short seasons. And this, this was prime time. You got the team representing the city, pretty much representing America after such a great tragedy. And the Yankees threw out Roger Clemens out there at 39 years old. He became the oldest Game 7 starter ever. Kurt Schilling had already started two games of the series and pitched his third, uh, 300th inning of the season on just three days rest. And he was out there again, and he did not care. The two aces matched each other inning by inning. After full seven innings, the game was tied one-to-one. And the D-backs scored first in the sixth inning before the Yankees followed it up in the seventh. But then the Yankees followed it up again in the eighth inning. So now you got the Yankees up you got you got the Yankees up two to one, entering the ninth inning, and that's a scary situation to be in. You definitely don't want to be two to one, knowing Mariano Rivera is going to come in, and he he came in for that two two inning save. He came in the eighth inning, and he he didn't give up any runs in the eighth inning. But when we get to that ninth inning, Mark Grace led off the inning with a single to center on a one zero pitch. Rivera's Aaron throws to second base on a bunt attempt by catcher Damian Miller on a 0-1 pitch, put runners on first and second. Jeter tried to reach for the ball, but got tangled in the legs of pinch runner David DeLucci, who was sliding on attempt to break up the double play. Then during the next bat, Rivera appeared to finally get control again. He fielded pinch hitter Jay Bell, who was hitting for Johnson at the time. Rivera got him to ground out. He threw the ball to the third and got him out, but the third baseman did not even attempt to complete the double play for the Yankees. So he held on to the ball, and now you got uh, players at first and second. He had Cummings on at second, came in for pinch runner Damian Miller, and with Cummings at second ballot first, the next batter was Womack, who had a double down the right field line on a 2-2 pitch, and that tied the game, and Rivera earned his first blown save of the World Series, and then Bell advanced to third, and the Yankees pulled the infield and outfield in as the potential winning run. Bell stood at third with fewer than two outs, so now Yankees are desperate. They're scared. This is a tie game. You you got you got it's game seven, all the marbles on the line. You got the best closer in baseball. He just blew a save. What's going to happen next? And so after Rivera hit Craig Council unintentionally with an 0-1 pitch, the bases were loaded. An 0-1 pitch with Williams in on the on-deck circle. Gonzalez lofted a soft loader single over the drawn-in Jeter that barely reached the outfield grass, plating Jay Bell with the winning run. Gonzo doing it again, doing Gonzo things. This This ended the Yankees' bid for a fourth consecutive title. Fourth consecutive title really put the Diamondbacks on the map. And it was just the best feeling ever if you were a D-backs fan during the time. Seeing your team win for the city, the only win of the major professional teams here in the Valley. And so it was a great showing by the D-backs and definitely not something that the fans will forget anytime soon. Thank you to everyone who tuned in to this edition of the Locked On Dimebacks podcast. Go tell your Alexa device to play the newest edition of the Locked On Fantasy MLB so you guys can stay up to date with news rankings and updates. And tune back in next week for more update, uh, for more episodes and updates on the D-backs and for everything D-backs, basically. 
Hope everyone is staying safe and staying healthy. Peace.